How you guys doing this morning? Good. You guys all got your coffee, so you'll stay awake. It's going to be a short 90 minutes, so we'll be good. <clears throat> well, like Gabe said, my name is Chris, uh, last name Zoner, and I'm from Eugene, Oregon. I wasn't always from Eugene, but that is where I call home now. Somewhat like some of you, um, I moved to help start a Grace City church plant in Eugene. I was in Corvallis for seven years, and so the Grace City roots run deep, and uh, the blood runs through my veins. This is family um, being here with you guys today, and I just want to let you know, as you guys have launched and, and got, you know, processed through the winter season, you know, all the date changes and all that fun stuff that you guys had. We've been praying for you guys faithfully. Um, we're super excited to be on this journey of advancing the kingdom of God together. So it's an honor to be here with you guys. And Grace City Eugene sends their, their prayers and, and wishes and all that good stuff. So I'm excited to be here with you guys today. And Pastor Simon's down in Eugene. So we did, we crossed each other on I-5, gave the wave and just kind of assumed like, oh, this should be where I pass him. Um, and so that was good. I want to show you guys a couple pictures, uh, just so you know a little bit about me. First of all, I have four daughters, eight years and under. So uh, that's proof. Those are all mine. And in about 10 years from now, I'll be needing a lot more prayers. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that is, that's my tribe. And the next picture uh, is my wife and I. That We were up at Whistler a few weeks ago, got to go on a hike, and uh, that was just a little selfie we took. Um, she made me take because I don't like pictures. So um, that's my family. My wife's name is Bree. My daughters are Adeline, Kendall, Brindley, and Ashton is the little one. She turned six months old yesterday. So not only have we engaged in this whole church planting thing, but we decided to have two more kids once we moved. And I got a degree from the U of O when we moved and we're planting and all this fun stuff. So it's been a crazy, a crazy uh, journey for us, to say the least. And I want to talk a little bit about that today, not just my crazy journey, but I believe that all of us are coming in here um, with some sort of relatability to just the craziness of a journey and starting something new. And at the very least, you're here sitting in a seat at a new church, right? If that's, if you guys didn't know that, like spoiler alert, Grace City Portland is a new church plan. It's a new expression of community here in the Portland area. And that, um, you can take that down. It's weird seeing myself out of the corner of my eye. It's like, who's that weirdo looking at me? Um, but whether, whether you're here for the first time or you move down here to be a part of this, <clears throat> it is quite the journey, isn't it? It's okay to agree with me. This is going to be a long morning if you guys are all silent. We're going to have to take a coffee break. It's, a, it's quite the journey. There's challenges. There's ups and downs. Um, moving to a new place, you have like that job thing that you're supposed to do and housing and new friends and relationships. And I know even within this group, there's new marriages, there's new children. And then you're starting a new community. You're trying to engage people that you've never met and convince them that like, hey, this is the place to go. Well, where? What are you talking about? Just go to the red door. That's the answer. Just go to the red door out on Fremont. Like you, you guys have been out trying to build community. And that's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard. It's hard work, but it is well worth the work. And so what I want to talk a little bit about this morning is this concept that that God's been working uh, through me as we've planted and launched a new church and trying to figure out what does it look like to have holy work and holy rest in my life? 
Because if you're volunteering and you're part of the launch team, or maybe it's your work life outside of this, or maybe you're raising kids, um, I know what that's like. Like, it's hard work. It is really hard work. What does it look like to do that work well? And then what does it look like to rest well along with that? Now, I was going in a totally different direction until about 6 p.m. last night, and I believe that the Lord uh, highlighted this passage and really wanted to speak to you guys uh, through this this morning. And I believe that some of you in here have been struggling with this concept of what does it look like to work well, to work in a way that honors God, but then to also rest. Like, how do I live in that tension? Anybody struggle with that? That's kind of a tough tension, right? Like, I want to work my tail off. I want to get stuff done. I want to see this happen. Oh, and then the Bible says something about like, in Exodus, if you don't Sabbath, you'll be put to death. How am I supposed to reconcile that verse, right? Conviction rains down. Like, how do I reconcile these things? What does this mean for us? And how do we do what we're doing here at Grace City Portland well while still honoring God and developing relationships with one another? So we're going to talk about the day. But before we start with that, I'm going to pray for us. Sound good? So, Dad, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this family. I thank you that this family extends beyond the city limits of Portland, even in this metropolitan area, in Corvallis and Eugene and all over the world, Dad. I thank you for spiritual family. I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. I pray that you, through your spirit, would minister to our hearts and souls here in this place. So I thank you for each person in here. And uh, God, I pray that you would move, use my words, and uh, that this time would honor you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. All right. So if you have a Bible or an app, we're going to be hanging out in Exodus chapter 31 this morning. I'll give you a second to get there. Exodus 31, that's kind of like a throwback, isn't it? We're going back to book number two. Um, So in order to kind of set the stage for what we're seeing happen in Exodus 31, I want to give you guys the ESPN highlight version to get you caught up to speed of what's happening uh, in the book of Exodus. Um, it's really hard to understand, like just maybe one chapter, if we don't know the pe- like who we're talking to, what situation they're in, and what's going on in a broader context. So let's let's catch us up, shall we? And some of you, this may be like, oh yeah, I remember that story, and maybe the way that that I shared it might uh, it might speak a new interest or, or bring a new point up. But basically, we start out the book of Exodus in. The children of Israel, God's chosen people, are enslaved in Egypt under this really amazingly nice guy named Pharaoh. That was sarcasm, okay? <clears throat> there will be a little bit of that here this morning. So they're enslaved in Egypt to this guy, Pharaoh. He's threatened by them because their numbers have increased um, substantially over the years. They were gaining influence, and he saw an economic gain to enslave them and utilize them to, to help with whatever workforce he needed in Egypt at the time. And then he, this threatening nature that he felt out of insecurity of the Israelites, he decided to try to eliminate them from growing in number anymore, and he started killing off the male babies. He had these mandates that um, the, the male babies should be thrown into the river, that the midwives would, would dispose of them. And uh, out of this, ironically enough, one of these male babies floating down the Nile River, and Pharaoh's daughter assumes custody of this baby. And this baby is named Moses. Um, So Pharaoh's daughter gives it back to one of the Israelite uh, women who actually was Moses' mom to nurse him, raise him up. And then he became like an authority figure of high influence within Egypt. So you have this Israelite child who was floating down the river. The mom put him in the river hoping that something good would happen instead of him dying in this basket. And he was brought in to the family of influence in that nation. 
<clears throat> so he could never shake his roots of being a Hebrew. Like this was always within him. And he got sick of seeing these slave masters beating his people uh, day in and day out. And I wouldn't like advise doing what he did, but he ended up killing one of these people for abusing the Israelites. And then he's like, oh crud, and he fled. So he takes off because now he's gonna be found out and he's scared because he knows like, yeah, I have influence and power in this place, but so does Pharaoh. And he's not a very nice guy. So he takes off, God ends up meeting him, um, speaking to him, saying, hey, I'm gonna use you to bring my people out of slavery. And he's like, no, no thank you, no seriously, no. And he, he gets in this little argument. Um, he's like, but I can't speak well, but I don't have influence, but I'm not good at that, but no, but no, but no. And finally, he's like, okay, and he obeys. And uh, he goes back into Egypt, and God starts using him to tell Pharaoh, you need to let my people go so that they can worship their Lord, Yahweh, the true God. And Pharaoh, because there's no arrogance or pride anywhere in his soul, basically laughed at them and said, who is your God? Like, I have 80 gods. I have all these gods. Like, get out of here. Like, he just kind of dispels it and said, go, go on your way. It's at that point that God, the Lord, who we see in Exodus referred to as Yahweh, he has a name, says, okay, it's on. And he brings about what, what we know as the plagues, which are actually like a series of battles of God establishing his authority and his like him being the prime creator of these of this earth and of all these things because the Egyptians were worshiping the river the sun the agriculture pharaoh all these different things and God's saying no 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 I'm the true lord I am the true god let me show you and he absolutely humiliates all of their other gods including pharaoh through this series of plagues and so I say that because a lot of us are like, oh, that's so mean. Why would he make a bunch of locusts all over Egypt? That's just so mean. Like, no, you got to understand, like, Pharaoh was saying, you are nothing. Who are you, Yahweh? Who are you? And he, his response is like, nope, here's who I am. I am the true God. I am the creator. I am not of created things. I'm the one who created them, and you should worship me. So this is going on, this epic battle as some say, epic battle. And uh, then we see the 10th plague um, come along, and that is the death of the firstborn. And the Egyptians were saved of that through the ritual of Passover. And then finally, Pharaoh's like, my child's dead. I'm over this. Fine. Leave. And this is where some of you, if you've ever read like a children's storybook Bible or, or maybe Veggie Tales or any of this stuff, right? You will have heard the story of like the Egyptians get out and then all of a sudden they're blocked between, or the, the Israelites get out and they're blocked between the Egyptian army and this body of water, the Red Sea, right? And you guys recalling this and they're blocked there and they're like, what are you doing? Like you lead us out here, Moses. What are you just leading us out here to die? Like they just saw God show up. They saw him do miraculous things, deliver them from slavery and then they start grumbling and complaining because they're humans and that's what we do sometimes, right? And miraculously, God opens up the waters and they walk through on dry land. And Pharaoh has his people charge through and what happens to them? The water comes back down, right? They're taken care of. So once again, we see these people grumbling, complaining, Moses, staff, water opens, and the, the Egyptians are consumed. So God is delivering them time after time from all these different things. As we read through this book, we continue to see like grumbling, a need for faith, a need for redemption and deliverance, and God showing up and doing that. So then 
the Israelites are in the wilderness for a period of time, and God's teaching them various lessons. He's revealing to them who he is, bringing them greater understanding of what it looks like to follow him. And then we come to this place where God gives them these Ten Commandments. He gives them the Ten Commandments. And what's cool about this is these people have known nothing but slavery. They've known nothing but taking orders, being told what to do, being abused, being manipulated, and they haven't had any paradigm for healthy relationship. Slavery kind of takes that away, right? And so they're out in the wilderness. It said there were 600,000 men, plus all the women, children, livestock. That's a lot of people. We all probably had enough like drama in our dorm rooms or fraternities, sororities, co-ops with roommates, marriages, maybe some drama in this cohabitation living together thing, right? Imagine that many people being close-knit, trying to navigate a new way of life for the first time. That seems kind of intimidating, doesn't it? Like, how do we do this? We've been told what to do for our entire lives, and now we're out in the wilderness trying to figure this out. So God institutes these 10 commandments to help them relate healthily with God and with one another. He takes it a step further, gives them 52 ways that they can apply this in their daily life, which is really cool because there's a difference between just telling somebody, like, here's the target, or teaching them how to obtain it, right? And so instead of saying, hey, here's how you live, good luck, go get them, God steps down, he parents his children, and he says, here's what this looks like to apply these in your everyday life. Here's what it looks like to apply them. And then we come to a place right before Exodus 31 where God instructs him to build his tabernacle, which is gonna be like his hot spot for his presence among his people. He says, I wanna be among you, I wanna dwell among you, I wanna be in like, present with you, and here is what you guys are going to establish to do that. And this is where we step in right before chapter 31 is God has said, okay, build this, and then they're like, okay, what, is, what does this even look like? What does this even look like? Imagine if God gives you guys, a group of you, a blueprint for like the most high-tech, new, like building you could imagine. It says, okay, here's a blueprint, now go build it. You're like, how do, how do I do that? I don't even know what this is. Maybe I don't know how to read this blueprint. And this technology is probably so advanced that you've never seen it before and would have no clue how to do it. And this is kind of what's happening here. God's like, and I, he gives very specific instructions. I want this to look like this. And you will do this this way. And you use this material here. And you have this many loops in the curtain here. I mean, super specific. And they're like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And here's what we see in chapter 31, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahizamech, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent. The table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all of its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all of its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I have commanded you. That is a lot of things they're responsible to come up with. 
to build this space for God to be present there. And how do they even have a chance of doing this in and of themselves? How do they even have a chance? It says in verse 3 that God empowered them by filling them with his spirit. He filled them with his spirit. This wasn't something he's like, hey, go figure it out. Power through. Don't, you know, have some faith. Be strong. No, it says right off the bat, God empowered them, filled them with his spirit so they could do what he was calling them to do. It doesn't say he gave them his spirit. And also he gave them wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and skills. The spirit was all inclusive of all of those things. God gave them his spirit and filled them with that, which included wisdom, understanding, knowledge, skills. That was all part of the package. They didn't have to do this on their own. God filled them with his spirit. And as we build a church in a new city and we go through developing new relationships, we go through starting families, making new friendships, whatever it looks like for you guys, we desperately need God and his direction and his empowerment in our life if it is gonna be worth anything. If we're just beating our heads up against a wall, trying to figure it out, powering through time after time, the product that is gonna be yielded from that will be selling so much short, so much shorter than what God has in those moments. And he starts off saying, okay, here's what you need to build, but I've, these two guys, I filled them with my spirit. And then it goes on later, in chapter 35, and it says, and he empowered them to teach others how to do these things as well. It wasn't just like, okay, these two guys did all the work, because that's kind of a big deal. It wasn't just like, okay, Hannah and Simon are going to do everything because she sings and he preaches, and the rest of you just said, no, they enabled those two guys to teach others how to join in, how to join in and do these things. There's a word for that, you guys. Anybody know what it is? And a hush goes over the crowd. It's called discipleship. It's discipleship, right? Maybe I should clarify like that. I, you guys can talk in that part. <clears throat> so he fills them with the spirit. And then later on in chapter 35, we, he says, and then he gave them the ability to teach others to join in and do those skills. He gave them the ability to disciple others into building this place so God could be present among his people in a tangible and meaningful way. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> this would kind of be like asking a group of 40 or so people to move to a, to a big city that maybe some had been in before, maybe some hadn't. Ask them to go there to a city where most people don't know God or actually reject him, saying, hey, you're gonna go to this place. You're gonna start a Christ-centered church in the midst of the city. You're gonna find a building. You're gonna find people that are gonna serve in all these different areas. And you're gonna get families to come in and actually stay after visiting for one week. You're gonna create an environment where these people can come in and encounter God, maybe for the first time. And you're gonna go do this. And you guys are gonna figure out how to do it on your own. I'm gonna give you a mission statement in 40 people now go start a church in Portland, Oregon, in the midst of like the postmodern, hyper-intellectual Northwest United States, and you're going to go start this community with a mission statement and 40 people. Good luck. Go get them. That would be a little overwhelming, wouldn't it? I mean, it's Portland, for goodness sakes, right? The only place in Oregon worse than Portland is Eugene for that, right? 
<laughs> That's a tall order to do with just a mission statement and 40 people. But you know what I know about Pastor Simon? I know that that man has been filled with the spirit of God to carry forth and lead this church to where they're supposed to go. He has been filled with the spirit of God to lead each person in here, staff, people maybe who have just come for the first time to carry out what God has put on his heart, the vision that God has given Grace City Portland to be done here. And I know that the spirit of God has indwelled in many more of you to carry that out. And as you guys do that, God also, I believe, has given you the ability to teach others to do the same. He's given you the ability to disciple others and engaging in relationships and to serving at the front door in the kids' ministry, media, worship, whatever it is. I believe that the Spirit of God is filling this church from the inside out to do great things. This isn't something that we just settle to get together and have a potluck and a good cup of coffee on Sundays. This is much, much bigger than this. And when we as a church, and as a church family as Grace City, can get a grasp on the bigger, bigger picture of what we're a part of. This isn't just about giving somebody a menu item of what they could do on a Sunday morning. This is about a missional community that desires to bring change into a place that so desperately needs it. You can't watch the news for more, less than more than five minutes without just seeing all kinds of mess everywhere, right? And you can't help but feel hopeless. This has happened here now. This has happened here now. Oh my goodness, what is going on with people? The world is crazy. What is the answer to this? And I'm here to tell you today, you guys, the answer is Jesus. The answer is exactly what this church stands on. The answer is a community of people coming together with all their differences that don't look the same, that don't have the same background, and saying, no, we are going to stand up for what is good, right, and true in the city of Portland, Oregon. And we are going to bring change, and we are going to bring hope, and we are going to usher in joy to the darkest places where maybe people haven't experienced it for decades. And that kind of work, that kind of mission, building something like that from the ground up, which you guys are doing, requires an extra dose of the filling of the Spirit of God. There's some awesome people in here, but that is not going to happen on your own. There's a lot of strengths represented in this room, but even all those strengths together, without the presence of God in your life and in this community collectively, what you guys will build would come so much shorter and with the presence of God and him empowering you. Amen. The people of Portland need so much better than what us on our own can bring them. They need so much more. So much more. <clears throat> and this thought of, of doing work in a holy manner that honors God goes even beyond our Sundays. Like, yes. Sundays is a great starting point. It's a great place to practice these things, to kind of get, get the blood flowing and what it looks like to live this way. But your workplaces, right? Wherever you are, your neighborhoods, where you interact socially with people, all these places need us to enter in with a filling from the Spirit of God and his presence in our life so that we can bring something that is sustainable and eternal and true into their lives where they're at. There's so much more that we can offer when we're operating in the power of God than just what we have to offer alone. And that's the point here. So work, it's great, right? Like super important. We are created to work. We see work happening in Genesis. But right along with work is this concept of rest. 
And I bet a lot of us in here are really excellent at working and we just are straight miserable at rest. The Bible rarely separates the two. From the beginning of time when God modeled what it was like to work as he created the earth, it is immediately followed by him taking a rest. They go together. As he talks about the Sabbath in the book of Exodus, they go together. Work and rest are together. Even as they're aligned scripturally, like here's how you work. And then don't forget about this thing called the Sabbath. Don't forget about this thing called the Sabbath. Inherent in a concept of holiness, we're talking about holy work and holy rest, inherent in this concept of holiness is to be set apart. Does that make sense to you guys? Like to be holy is to be set apart, to be against maybe the norm of the culture and what society would tell us we're supposed to do. And one of the things about the Sabbath is following Jesus, like following the way that God outlines us to live We are set apart by this concept of a Sabbath and taking a holy rest. This is something that sets us apart. The the Bible says it sanctifies us. God talks about it time and time again because this is something that no other government structures or faith systems would tell you like, hey, yeah, work and work hard and work to the honor of God, but then take a day and rest. Like I... I haven't been in a lot of work environments even that would tell you that, right? Like they get the most out of you, get as much out of you as you can, keep going, go, go, go. You're not producing, work harder, but I need a Sabbath because I need to worship God. No, 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 no. You got goals to meet. You got quotas to meet, right? Like our world doesn't tell us like, yeah, take a good, healthy rest day. But the Bible does. And as we go on in chapter 31 and verse 12, God talks about it here too. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. And then the fun part of the verses, observe the Sabbath because it's holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it will be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but on the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. Said it again. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God was pretty serious about this Sabbath stuff, wasn't he? He understood and he was trying to help his people understand that this sets them apart to be his people and this is so necessary to have this rhythm of remembering who they are and why they do what they do in order to fully fulfill God's calling on their lives. In Exodus, we see the Sabbath talked about along with God created the earth in six days and then rested and was refreshed on the seventh. We see that happen a couple times as he's outlaying what the Sabbath is. He equates it to creation. And then we go in Deuteronomy And when it's talking about the Sabbath, it talks about this God, like he delivered you from Egypt. He delivered you from bondage and slavery. He redeemed you. So we see the Sabbath spoken about in two contexts. The creator, creation, remembering God, the creator, and remembering God when he redeemed us. So as we Sabbath, as we rest, it's not just about taking a day to play video games or, you know, binge on Netflix or whatever it is. Like that is not like what we're talking about here. What God is saying is take this day to rest and remember me, the creator and the redeemer of your life. 
Because out of that is why you work hard. Out of that is why you can work in a holy way. Out of that is why you even would move or consider moving to a place to start a new community and a new church and reach people in the name of Jesus. Out of that is why you would get up maybe a little earlier than you want on a Sunday to go be a part of a community that's gonna make a lasting change in a place. Remember why you even do what you do in the first place. Because if we don't take time to do that, to remember why we do what we do and who we do it for, then what does the rest of our week even mean? What is the rest of the week even for? That leads to burnout, that leads to bitterness, and that ends up leading to isolation. Because you just get sick of it, you get sick of the people, you get sick of all the tension and all the hurt and all that stuff that happens when we engage with people. Anybody ever been in like, have friends or family? You get hurt, right? That's just the nature of this thing. If you haven't been hurt yet in church, stick around a couple weeks. It happens because we are imperfect people. We're imperfect. And if we don't take that time to reflect on our creator and our redeemer, we quickly forget why we do what we do and who we do it for, and we lose sight of everything that's going on in the rest of our lives. This is important stuff, you guys. <clears throat> so what does this mean? for Grace City Church Portland here today. What does this mean for us? It'd be pretty lame to just like talk at you guys and then not say like, here's, here's what this can look like, right? <clears throat> what does this mean for us? You guys can't continue to build a meaningful community and a space for people to encounter Jesus for very long if we're not plugged into the source of life if we don't know why we're doing what we're doing, who we're doing it for, and we're not empowered by the, like the presence of God in our lives, anything will fizzle out absent of those things, right? Much less this. Those of you who have been around since the beginning of this, it's not easy, is it? It's tough. Much less a job and a family and everything else we have going on. It's tough. And it's okay that it's tough, because the Bible never says like, hey, Follow Jesus and everything will be easy. You guys ever read that verse? I missed it. <clears throat> it's going to be hard. But it's going to be difficult and we're going to do it in community. We're going to do it together. We're going to do it on purpose with a common mission and a common direction. And we're going to know what we're headed for. And as Pastor Simon stands up here week after week and casts vision for this family, we get to know, man, I'm so glad that God has filled that man with his spirit and given him the ability to teach others to do the same thing he's casting a vision for for us. And that you guys get to move forward and you get to go into the neighborhoods and the areas that other people may just drive by or walk by or turn an eye to, right? Like there's those places in this city that other people want nothing to do with. And I believe that God is giving you guys the grace to spot out those dark places, those places that others would rather not deal with and bring the light of Jesus and bring hope and joy into those places. Because this isn't a church that just goes and looks for the light spots and says, oh, this is easy, I'm gonna go hang out there. Looking around at you guys and knowing who I know here, this is a church that says, where are the dark spots that are hopeless and depraved and how can I bring hope and new life into those areas, amen? That is what this church stands for. So that anyone can experience the love, grace, mercy, and hope that's found in Jesus. And I know that's not exactly your mission statement, but that's pretty close. So that anybody can experience it, right? Not just so that the affluent 
Not just so that the people that look like me, that vote like me, that talk like me can experience it, so everybody can experience it. And that is not gonna happen if you are not filled with the presence of God. Because you know what happens when you go and you talk to someone that doesn't look like you, think like you, vote like you, talk like you, and you don't have the presence of God in your life? You turn around, you walk the other way. You're like, ooh, that's really awkward, and you leave. But when you encounter those conversations, you're like, man, God loves this person. And you recall when you were a hot mess and you so desperately needed somebody to care about you and speak some truth and love into your life. You say, you know what? We are so much different. Man, I'd love to get to know you. That's the kind of conversation that comes out of a place of being filled with the Spirit of God. That's the kind of conversations that brings light into darkness. That's the kind of conversations that builds a meaningful community here at Grace City Portland. And I believe that's what God has for you guys. The question is, will you guys accept that? Worship team, you guys can come back up. The question is, is that just gonna be a nice little idea that you put on the shelf? Or is that gonna be something that you actually take steps to fulfilling? Are you gonna get in your word? Are you gonna ask, God, fill me? Because I know you have so much more for me and so much more for this community in this city. Use me. Give me the ability to teach others what it looks like to walk this way. Use me. Will we accept that? Because if it's just an idea sitting on the shelf, intentions without follow through are meaningless, aren't they? We live in a society where there's plenty of intentions. Plenty of intentions. But there is little follow through. And I believe if God would encourage you guys as a community with anything out of this, it's that he wants to make you a community of converting intentions to follow through. He wants to use you guys to bring intentions to reality in this city. He doesn't just want a bunch of ideas on a whiteboard. He wants to see lives transformed because this is a community that follows through and follows up with people in the name of Jesus. If nothing else, because the story in your own life has compelled you to do so story in your own life has compelled you to do so. So let us not be a community of just ideas and spreadsheets and theory. Let us be a community where rubber meets the road and we carry out and follow through with what God's called us to do. Amen. And let us be a community that does that full of the presence of God so that we can bring meaningful change in this community. Let me pray for us. Dad, I thank you so much for this family. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've created us to work, but that you have not created us to work apart from you. That work aligned with the leading and the presence of your Holy Spirit will bring hope, joy, and purpose into this life. And God, help us to live in this tension of what it looks like to have holy work and holy rest as we establish this community and as we strive to bring change in your name in the city of Portland and beyond. So I thank you for this morning, God, and I pray that you'd be each one of us, with each one of us as you lead us and where to go from here. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.